Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Political State from the Oklahoman here in the Oklahoma studios. I'm Ben Felder. Joining me is the Political State crew, Justin Wingeter, Chris Castile, Dale Dinwalt, all covering different facets of Oklahoma government. We are less than two weeks away from the big runoff election. A lot of uh, races on that ballot, statewide races, including races for the House and Senate. And we're going to talk mostly about the governor today. Uh, Chris, you know, you know, you've been writing a lot about the governor's race and this runoff and, and maybe some of the other elections. And, you know, you see some signs out there and obviously our paper is not a lot of coverage. But, um, you know, I had I conducted an experiment last night. So it was about 630. I flipped on the TV and Wheel of Fortune was on. And so I just I don't watch Wheel of Fortune, but I, I turned it on and I just waited for the commercial break. And what I got during the commercial break was like six ads all of them political ads, mm-hmm. uh, some for governor, some for uh, attorney general. Leslie Osborne had an ad on there. So, I mean, for me, who normally consumes my, my video content through Netflix or on my phone, I don't really see a lot of that, but Will Fortune viewers do. And that tells us a little bit about who these candidates are going after, right, as we have this, uh, this yeah, runoff yeah, coming I mean, it's, it, it, That's right. That, that for some reason, everybody buys that show. I don't know <laughs> what that demographic is, but um, that, that group of it's puzzle. It's older, I'm guessing. Uh, older I'm puzzle gold, solvers. Gold, yeah. I'm guessing it's older <laughs> and slightly more conservative, which is kind of what this electorate's going to be. Yeah, on, I, mean, I, think, there, I think right? on every ad buy I look, you know, Wheel of Fortune, it's all news programs and Wheel of Fortune, you yeah. know, so... Um, yeah, I'm not surprised. I see them in the morning, mainly when I'm watching the, the morning news. And they are, I mean, it's, it's, it's just three or four races, just yeah. constant ads. Well, speaking of ads, we've seen some new developments, especially in the governor, the Republican governor's runoff between Mick Cornett uh, and Kevin Stitt. Um, catch us up on where we are because the, the race went negative <laughs> last week. It, it did. I, I, and, and the race went negative following a couple polls, and from what I understand, some internal polls by the candidates that showed Mick Cornett pretty far behind. Um, the two public polls, one had him down by 10, one had him down by 9. And that's a lot. Mm-hmm. And so one of the groups that um, is backing him, the outside groups, uh, the one that, that reveals its donors, a group called Oklahoma Values, its biggest donor is a, a local, uh, an Oklahoma City philanthropist and uh, investor named Sue Ann Arnell, who's given $200,000 to it. They started airing ads, I believe statewide, um, last Friday, um, attacking Corn- uh, Stitt's Gateway Mortgage Group for some regulatory actions taken against it in 2008, 2009 mm-hmm. during the financial crisis. Stitt campaign, they were ready for it. These yeah. are not new charges. In fact, Gary Richardson, the Tulsa attorney who was in the, in the mix for uh, uh, the Republican uh, gubernatorial nomination early, he, that was, he had done all this opposition research early on about Stitt and even it set up a website, Shady mm-hmm. Kevin Stitt, that had all these regulatory actions from Georgia, Illinois, and Arkansas. Yeah, showed Stitt it. like wearing a hoodie, kind of an yeah, Eminem-esque yeah, uh, cruise. <laughs> really <laughs> interesting. But um, so they picked up on that opposition. I think they just used the same opposition research mm-hmm. that Richardson had done and did this kind of ad laying out yeah. th- these things. Not, not in great detail or with any <laughs> yeah. defense. But yeah, so that started it. Stick out angry. They had an ad ready. You know, they had an ad. They probably, I, I don't know for sure. I, they probably had an ad defending against those charges, but they also had an ad going after Cornette, all, all ready to go. And that's interesting because, you know, <coughs> Stitt uh, criticized the Cornette camp, even though initially, you know, it was a pack and, you know, the, the, the candidate is not supposed right. to be working. Criticized them for going negative, but then quickly, as you said, they came out with their own negative so ad, here's but, a, but that's something that they have in the hopper, a, right? I mean, it becomes such a you know, inside baseball process, argument, yeah. you know, and, and, and 
an argument that I don't think most people pay attention to or care about is the timing of all this. But it, it, it is common for campaigns, big budget campaigns, to have all kinds of ads ready. And it, clearly the stick campaign is going to be ready for this this mortgage stuff yeah. because Gary Richardson had already used it and they might have you know they might have used it against Richard if Richardson never really had the finances to put that stuff on TV but they would have had an ad ready mm -hmm. you know that's what you do you cut all kinds of spots you know to prepare you for different scenarios in a campaign so they had that spot ready and I and I'm not sure exactly if they were going to go negative against Cornette against this outside group the Sue Ann Arnell you know, backed group until Cornette's campaign got, uh, mm -hmm. you know, right after it began running, they're like, well, that's, it's not our ad, but it's all true. That, that's, um, again, this may be kind of inside campaign stuff, but that's a different wrinkle. Yeah. You know, because normally in a, when a group runs, a, an outside group runs an ad, you distance yourself from it. You're not supposed to coordinate with yeah. them, and you can't, and they didn't, you know, they say, coordinate it all with this group. But as soon as you jump on board with it, that's different. Yeah. You know, it's one thing to say, uh, we just, you know, we just didn't really. I, mean, I don't really want to comment on, you know, yeah. that, which is kind of yeah. typical. I don't want to comment oh, yeah, on. Yeah, and I was surprised to hear his. They camp jumped on it immediately and on said, it. "Yeah, that's all true." Well, so then Stitt's campaign was like, okay. So this, whether they finance the ad or not, they're on board with it. So that's when they decided to go with this anti-cornet ad, and now the latest wrinkle <laughs> is this week. Um, Responding to the Stitt ad, Cornette has an ad where he, he says, you know, everything that Corn or Stitt is saying is bullstead. Yeah, kind of a, maybe like we were talking before, maybe a little clever in a marketing meeting, but how well does this play in a, I mean, if this is truly going to be, you know, Dale and Justin, I'm curious your opinion on this. If this is truly gonna be a more conservative electorate as we expect to be going into a runoff, um, you know, and, and there seems to be a battle for voters all over the state, but especially in rural areas, uh, that may be very religious. I mean, you know, t you know, we can joke at it, but there are some people who who may hear, you know, bull stit and do a double take and, and don't necessarily appreciate, uh, you know, you know, it's, insinuating to a, you know, a curse word like it's, that. It's catchy. It's a great hashtag. When I saw the ad, I chuckled at the end. Uh, yeah, but I'm not the demographic that McCornet needs to to attract here. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not a first of all, I'm not a voter in the Republican primary, but you know. At this point, you know he's trying to convert people who uh, are older, and uh, uh, since they're voting in the Republican runoff primary, uh, very, very active in Republican politics and church, church, church going yeah. exactly. And and I'm not sure that uh, an evocation of, uh, of bull droppings is something that is going to drive people to the polls. Yeah, I mean, and does that kind of show? I mean, do we take that as kind of a a level of desperation here at this point. I mean, you mentioned, you've, Chris, that you know a lot of these polls are, are showing Cornette behind. I mean, is this the kind of move that you make when you're, you know, kind of grasping in the final weeks of a campaign that you feel like you're you're kind of behind on? I, I mean, I, I wasn't in their meetings, but I, I took it as almost you know borderline hail mary uh, because it, they have to at least understood that it was risky. You know, there is a, um, there, the implied profanity of it is absolutely going to turn a lot of people off you know I've I, I know Cornette has been around this state for over a year now meeting Republican voters um, you know he, he had really no experience with the Republican electorate before this very limited experience running for Congress in 2006 where he he lost a, a you know a runoff to, to Mary Fallon in this area in this area here but you know his experience with voting 
with you know is 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 at first primary June 26, you know where he was the leading vote getter because of this area, and I just wonder I I I just question if if he knows really how these people out in these rural areas that he's been meeting, if he understands those people when you know and and how they might react to this ad. That was just kind of one of my first impressions of it. Those that I. I don't, I don't know how that's going to go over with a lot of the uh, Republican primary voters in rural areas. And I, I don't mean tiny towns. I mean yeah. in a lot of towns, you know, where they just, they, they just question the judgment of, because uh, these people are not profane people. They're, they're, they're people who would probably question the wisdom of the. Yeah, this I mean, area. I've heard plenty of farmers curse, but it's one thing being out in the fields, another thing being around. may not, being, Yeah, true. Or being around the living room, watching TV, watching Wheel of Fortune. Yeah. Um, although that would make for a great uh, puzzle guess, uh, I think. Um, B. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what's interesting to me about Cornette is that when he jumped in the race, there was a lot of, ex there was a lot of interest in his, can in his candidacy because he was, he came across, you know, as kind of the moderate figure. And at a time when you know a lot of people are kind of frustrated with partisan politics, and you even saw some Democrats that you know expressed support for him, and so it always felt like that the general election he probably would do pretty well in. I mean, it's uh, you know the Republicans have an advantage in that race anyways, but maybe he could appeal you know to a lot of moderate and maybe even some Democrat voters. Um, even the the primary, you know, you said you know he got the, the most votes uh, in a crowded field. You know, that kind of made sense, especially this year when you saw such high turnout. Mm -hmm. But was the runoff always just going to be that, um, that hurdle too high going, you know, when you have such a conservative electorate for, for someone like Yeah, Cornette? that was always going to be the question about um, uh, Cornette was take away the marijuana voters. You know, you've got a much, um, I, I'm not sure, sure what they're modeling for, probably around 300,000 people to, um, to vote this time. I think that's what one of the campaigns told me. They're, you know, they're like 500,000. So it's going it's to be a much smaller electorate, a more conservative electorate will not be nearly as many young people as turned out, which I think is a demographic that Cornette's, you know, pollster told me that's a, uh, mm -hmm. a, a demographic, that younger yeah. voter that, that, that they are, are popular with. So it's a different, it's a different electorate. It, it, it absolutely is. And I think that that was reflected in those polls. Now, I don't know, you know, polls have to, when you go out into the field to survey people, you have to make assumptions about the electorate. Mm -hmm. How, you know, how many people, 18 to, you know, in the demographics, how many people do you include in your survey at various age groups? And they, they model those based on past mm -hmm. um, runoff, you know, uh, electorate. So all you can say is that he's, he was 10 points behind in surveys that probably modeled for past Oklahoma runoffs in which the, they're, they're, they're older. Yeah, and, and that's not just about, you know, that, you know, he's trying, you're trying to appeal to these conservative voters in a rural area. Obviously, Oklahoma City, Tulsa are going to be big, big right. places as the, well. The biggest, yeah. You know, I think, you know, one example of that is I was talking to some, a candidate who's running, and I forget the, the number, I, I want to say it's House District 87, but it's this district that includes uh, Deer Creek, so the kind of the, the fast-growing suburbs west of Edmond, and then it also goes south of the Turnpike, kind of northwest of Lake Hefner, a lot of older community. And, you know, she was saying, you know, that, that turnpike really splits it, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of the demographics. Very, it's still very Republican, but you have your older voters, you know, who are in older homes and condos south of the turnpike. They're going to show up. Um, they showed up for the primary. They're going to show up 
for the runoff. North of it, you have a lot of those young families and those new subdivisions who are getting kids to school now. Mm -hmm. And on a Tuesday, you might have a ball game after school and stuff like that. And you don't know that they're necessarily going to show up. Um, so That's I mean, 82, isn't it? Or 82. I'm, that probably is. I think 80-something. Yeah. I can remember off the top of my head. There's one that um, had like 12 yes, exactly. Republicans in the primary. So there is a big, yeah. you know, for those candidates, they're expecting that kind of shift from, mm -hmm. you know, from a primary that saw a lot of excitement, especially in that Deer Creek area, the, you know, these suburbs, a lot of young families engaged for a lot of reasons. You know, the runoff is on a school day. Um, I mean, that has, you know, that has an impact. I mean, my son has a baseball game that day, that, and I was thinking, like, why do they schedule it? Although, I'm sure, the runoff election is not big on Little League. <laughs> There's uh, early vote. Or, there is early vote. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that yeah. people can't vote, but, yeah. you know, you've got to get your kid to school in the morning. Right. You know, you've got to get off to work, and maybe you pick up your kid and you go to the ball field. I mean, it's a good question. If for you're the, retired, you're there at 7 and you're question, done. But, yeah. for the, the runoff and the general is how, you know, we. I see a lot of energy, especially like, a, I should say, I see a lot of energy at both and different, you know, for both parties. The question is going to be if those people turn out. Yeah. Yeah. Those younger people. And I know that district. Those there, I know who some of those people you're talking They are very concerned about education. Mm -hmm. That is going to be, that is a key, the issue, the issue for them. I think it is statewide. Yeah. I really do. And every, how don't you? I mean, all the house races that we, all those people we talked to for the story we did a few weeks ago, it's almost almost to a T. Yeah. Uh, every person you ask is running this year. You ask them, what's the number one issue you see on the doorstep? And uh, and they say, it's education. Mm -hmm. yeah. If it's not education, it's the budget, which is right. closely tied to education. Right. Yeah, and it's education in a different way. Because if you talk to a candidate two years ago, they'd say education is always important. It's one of those core issues. Right. But when you have the walkout, you had some specific pieces of legislation that were constantly in the news, the tax increases. You know, voters are not just saying, well, I want good schools. They're saying, well, I want, you know, I want teachers to be paid well. I want funding for this aspect of the classroom. Right. It seems like voters are, you know, engaged in education in a more specific way that they weren't, you know, they, they maybe can say, a few they years can ago. say more than just the word education and, yeah. and say specific things about education. Yeah, they seem to have educated themselves on education. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's a good way to put it. And you saw candidates, you know, even visiting classrooms you know, going into, that turned into, you know, a hostile territory a little bit when, like, even students had specific questions about yeah. what's your you know, stance on this, and candidates had to, you know, take a step back and say, well, I can't just say I'm for education. i got to deliver with yeah. some specific and, plans. And, yeah, that's the thing. Is that when you get in the general, whoever, you know, emerges between Cornette and Stead, Drew Edmondson's waiting with a very specific agenda mm -hmm. on education, how to fund it, you know, how to raise more money for it and, and where it should go. Yeah. Who do you, I mean, Justin, I'm curious, who do you think Edmondson is sitting there hoping that he draws? Um, Man, you know. that's a better question for Chris. I would say, I was going to point out even congressional candidates hear about education a lot right now, and they have to, they've been formulating their own policies and how to fit that within a yeah. federal mold there, because obviously it's usually funded primarily by the states, and the, the education debate in Oklahoma is centered around the states. So, even federal candidates, uh, congressional candidates, have had to face that question a lot. Yeah, well, and you have to ask, you have to answer for those issues too. You know, the, yeah. you know, and a lot of times, and years past, you know, even those who are running for state house, the federal issues have been things that voters have asked. I mean, particularly with an unpopular president for for Oklahoma voters. Mm -hmm. Um, in the office now, it seems like those local issues are now driving. You know, like you just said, Justin, the the federal issue or the federal candidates are now having to talk about local issues. Probably being asked about you know during the walkout about the walkout when they really have nothing to do with it, right? Yeah, but many Democrats running for Congress were at the walkout and they were at the Capitol, you know, meeting people, just you know, getting their message out there that way. So it, yeah. it does come up a lot. Yeah. So is this the the governor is you know the Republican runoff for governor? I mean, that's 
probably the, the big ticket item on election night. What other elections are, are, are we going to be really interested in on you, Tuesday? You, you can't forget about these 10 uh, Republican legislative runoffs. And, and if you were to ask me, I've, I've thought about this question a little bit. The ones involved 10 incumbents. Yeah. yeah. The 10 yeah. incumbents. Yeah. Um, if you were to, uh, I thought about this a little bit, if you were to ask me which one, you know, should we watch out for, it, it's not about which one. I think you should look at them all. Um, uh, you should really watch the entire field of, of these candidates who are fighting for their job uh, against uh, newcomers. Uh, a lot of times political newcomers who are coming in trying to be the Republican legislator for their district. Yeah. Some of them are a lot of whom are educators, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Challenge, yeah. So a, lot, a lot of education ties there. And, uh, you know, once again, you know, you're talking about uh, an election where uh, education is the, the biggest uh, and most important factor in the way that people vote. And uh, a lot of these candidates were uh, supportive of a teacher pay raise yet voted against the mechanism for funding it. Mm -hmm. And uh, when, you ask, uh, when you ask around, uh, people will say, um, yeah, I, I can see through that. You know, mm -hmm. there, there's, a, there's a difference between supporting a pay raise and voting against the only plan to pay for it. Yeah, well, I, and, and the reason why this is relevant, I mean, typically an incumbent is a de facto winner. Uh, sure. The power of the incumbency is strong everywhere, but, and it's been so in Oklahoma for Very so high percentage. But once again, it, you know, you have to acknowledge the fact that the, the electorate is going to change a little bit. And, you know, I was talking with a candidate who said, you know, that she backed the tax increase, you know, as a Republican. I mean, she, was, she wasn't a lawmaker, so she didn't have a vote, but said that she supported it. And now it's kind of distanced herself away from it a little bit in a way that, you know, leads you to think that once again, if you have an electorate that's going to be even more conservative, maybe older, you know, fixed income, maybe wasn't as excited about uh, the, the tax increases as maybe those young families who are really engaged in schools. Uh, so it will be interesting to see if some of those incumbents now have a message that appeals a little bit more to their electorate. But yeah, that's going to be huge to watch. I mean, those numbers. I mean, even just... You know, even two of them losing is huge. One of them is huge, really, when you think about yeah. the history of Oklahoma elections. But if we're seeing, you know, five, six, seven, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty massive um, indictment uh, mm -hmm. on the legislature. That's right. Not only is incumbency usually strong, but voting against a tax increase would usually be yeah. a pretty safe bet in a Republican yeah. runoff. And now you have, as these two have reported, I mean, you have Republican incumbents worried about their increase or their uh, vote against a tax increase and how that may come back to bite them. It, that's a remarkable shift. There's just no way to, around it. Yeah, it yeah. Is, absolutely. And having to answer about tax increases when the, we've talked about before, it's very unlikely we're going to see any more talk of tax increases moving forward, right? I mean, the legislature's appetite, I mean, unless we see some huge wave, you know, of, of Democrat or really moderate Republicans going to the legislature, which I still don't think that's likely, you know, we're not, and we're not going to see a new governor unless it's Edmondson, and, and then maybe that changes things. And he probably, would, if he was elected, would feel like he has a mandate for some of his specific and policies, which includes some tax increases. I mean, if Stead is your governor, he's not going to go and thinking, all right, my first proposal is, a, is another hike on, on taxes. That's not. Yeah. I think if we see a tax increase, it's going to be either on alcohol or marijuana. Yeah. That, that's the only way that I can see. Um, Could they do cigarettes again? Do you think since they? They stopped short. I mean, they were. You had support for 150, and they went for a dollar. Mm -hmm. They do. Uh, and how much revenue does that wind up raising? Since it, you know, I, I assume it has the effect of well, reducing smoking. Yeah, and you also have a budget right now that's on yeah. the on on the upswing. Yeah, that's I mean, true. So yeah. you have the benefit. I mean, I think. I mean, if you are Stitt or Cornette, I mean, you are loving the situation right now because if you're, if, you know, if you're Stitt thinking, you know, that if I'm going to be governor next. I don't have to worry about tax increases because we already did it. 
you know, the appetite's not going to be strong. And then two, the, the budget is on an upswing where we're going to have a little bit more money for things. And, you know, we're not going to go through that, you know, that era of cuts. And probably, you know, Fallon's probably going out of office thinking, well, I would have enjoyed this economic climate a few years ago. Right. Um, but you got but, it a few years ago. Well, yeah, I mean, true. Your first term was... Uh, she did, yeah, yeah. Um, that's true. That's a great point. Flushed. But, I mean, you're going to be going in, you know, the, the state coffers are, are getting a little better. There's, there's talk that there's going to be money for some things. I mean, I don't think they're going to be flush with cash necessarily. Um, but it, a lot of people aren't predicting those kind of mid-year budget cuts that we've seen in years past, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't think we're going to have that problem. And in fact, uh, the most recent uh, figures from uh, the state revenue over the year, they were able to put uh, money into the, to the rainy day fund for the first time in a, in a while. Instead of taking money out to pay for uh, state operations, agencies, programs, etc., they're able to put money in because uh, we got more than what was estimated. Yeah, a rainy day fund that when Fallon came in was, and she always quotes it. It's like two, two dollars. Two dollars in there, she, she, hundreds of millions, down to nothing, now back up. Yeah. Um, so it's, the rainy day fund has, has been important in, in years past. Mm -hmm. But yeah, whoever's coming in as a new governor is gonna have a much better economic climate um, to be able to come in. And especially if you're one that says, we have the money to do things. Yeah, it will give them, I think it'll okay. give them the opportunity. And more, the Republicans are more talking about this than, than, than Edmondson is. But to, to address the, the structure of government, to, to, to address the management of government, which I think, you know, second to education slash budget has been this frustration with how government is run. And it, the, the dispersed, dispersion of, of authority in the executive branch to where, you know, the health department seems like the, they're like free agents, you know, rather than somebody that, a, a board that actually answers to the executive branch or there's kind of their own. And there are, you know, several, some are in the constitution, some are statutory. They, they changed the DHS, right, to make it answerable, and they've changed the health department. To, uh, whoever's the next govern, governor will be choosing for the first time, uh, uh, you know, the health department uh, director. But there's still this kind of spread out authority where the governor takes takes the blame or credit for all kinds of things that happen, but has no real authority that that he or she can exert over some of these kind of free free agent boards, education, corrections. Yeah. Higher ed, you know. Yeah, there's there's several other agencies that are kind of on the list. There's a state representative who who passed that bill, you know, last year, um, who put DHS under the uh, the appointment of the uh, the director mm -hmm. under the governor, and there are still agencies that he wants to check off that list uh, to be put under uh, uh, instead of the the board picking who runs that department, have the governor pick who runs that department. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've, we've talked about this before. I think, you know, it, it was, it's a system that, you know, emerged from this kind of populist mm -hmm. group of people that, that drew up the Oklahoma's very lengthy constitution. <laughs> but, you know, with a, with a theory that these board, these people appointed to these boards from communities all over the state, whether it be on transportation, corrections, whatever, are closer to the people. Mm -hmm. And maybe that was true at the time, but it's certainly not true now because nobody knows who's on these boards. You know, nobody could name... Most people that aren't, you know, in our, yeah. could name who's on the health department board or, you know, the board of education. Yeah. It's not closer to the people and they're not, and, and they're not accountable yeah. because nobody knows who they are and, you know. And a lot of these people who are on these boards and stuff, you see, I, I see them in Oklahoma City a lot, even those that kind of are representing these other districts, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, well, I'm sure they have a house there, but they seem like pretty Oklahoma City people. Uh -huh. um, so you don't necessarily have that kind of local representation as much as you maybe once did as well. Right. 
Yeah. Well, we've got obviously the, the governor's race, some other statewide races. You talk about those important uh, legislative races where incumbents are trying to hold on to their seat. We've also got some federal races on the ballot, and, um, including here in, in CD5, a, a Democratic runoff. Justin, kind of what are the the congressional races that you're watching on runoff night? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, we've talked about it before. The fifth congressional race is the race to watch um, in terms of November. And so Russell has scooted through the primary without a problem. He's, you know, on to the general. The Democrats have two candidates, uh, Tom Gild and Kendra Horn. Horn was by far the largest vote getter in the in the primary, would be expected to win the runoff, and uh, would expect to be go on to face Russell. And she has been able to fundraise in a way that CD5 Democrats have not been able to do in quite a while. Uh, she seems well positioned uh, as kind of a moderate Democrat in this district to uh, to take on Russell, but we'll see. Uh, how she does here in a couple weeks. Yeah, I think what's interesting, you know, I keep watching these like US maps like the New York Times does with the congressional districts and they are color coding like which, you know, Republican seats are in play for Democrats as that'll be a big storyline going into November. You know, so there's a couple in Kansas, there's none in Oklahoma. And I keep thinking like, wow, I mean the CD5, maybe that should be, you know, we talked about is this one that could flip. The difference, I think, here in CD5, while the demographics maybe support the idea that Democrats could be in play, is you've got, you know, Russell, you've got a congressman that's not really controversial. Uh, in a lot of these districts, it's you've got a controversial Republican. Um, the Democrats feel like they have a better yeah. chance again. Russell's not very con controversial. Uh, um, you know, he's. You know, he's pretty conservative, but he's kind of moderate at times, especially when he's talking about maybe some of the rhetoric coming out of the White House, although he doesn't command the spotlight a lot on those issues. And then you say Horn has been raising money really well, but she's still kind of an unknown you know, name. It's not like she's, been, she's not been a, a figure, you know, a large figure in Oklahoma politics before. Is it, you know, are any of those things going to change between now and Election Day? Uh, I mean, you're right. Russell is more conservative than his district, I would argue, and I've argued on the yeah. show before. He is quite conservative for this district. Um, but you're right. I mean, on, on issues like immigration, he's willing to go to a more moderate route, uh, in part because of his own mm -hmm. uh, situation. I mean, he has children from Hungary, and so that has influenced his, his immigration style a little bit. But otherwise, he's, he's quite conservative for this district, which, should, which is trending blue and should be a more moderate district even than it actually is because... Democrats just haven't come out to vote, or people in those demographics that are traditionally Democratic have not come out to vote the way that evangelicals have come out to vote for mm -hmm. Steve Russell. So um, that's not going to change. You're right. Russell is kind of low-key. I mean, the flip side of that, if you're looking at it from a Democratic perspective, is that he doesn't have great name recognition. He's not especially well-known in this district. Yeah. Um, on, on the other hand, you're right, he's not very controversial either, so he's not going to draw a lot of animosity or praise either way. Um, Horn does have to get the name recognition out there. She does not have much, as you pointed out, and but she has the money, and the money will help a great deal, especially in a district which is relatively small by Oklahoma standards. And she may get national money. Yeah, yeah, we'll um, see. I mean, that would be despite huge. This, you know, New York Times, I think there's national, <laughs> the national Democrats are looking at that as a possible. And that'll let us know what the internal polling is showing and if Democrats nationally think that the triple C thinks she has a shot. Yeah. And, and even if the people in this area don't get energized by that race, I think, I think people, I think Democrats, from what I've seen, are energized by the governor's race mm -hmm. and, and, they, and some of these state uh, yeah. House and Senate races, you know, they'll they're not turning out for Kendra Horn. Some of them obviously will. They'll be turning out for whoever the nominee is, and you know, Senate district to replace David Holt, or you know, mm -hmm. thirty whatever that is, yeah. or or for Drew Edmondson. You know, there there will be, I think, a, a much more um, active 
yeah. Democratic electorate in this. Uh, well, I would expect Democrat turnout to be up um, than we've seen, too. and and that would By bode that would bode well for CD5. I mean, there's a lot of Democrats yeah. here as well, and I think that Edmonds and we've said this before. I think the Edmondson versus slash Cornette race is going to be closer than people think, or at least has been in the past. Um, I mean, you have a, a, a well-funded, resourced, you know, candidate in Edmondson who has name recognition, has been around for a while. Money. Yeah, yeah it may, I mean, that would definitely be a big, um, you know, a big, you know, get for, yeah. for Democrats. And I still think, you know, the National Democrats, I mean, even though CD5 is maybe demographically somewhat in play, I think it's still hard to pull that trigger for national pundits to say but, that an yeah. Oklahoma district. But is, this is, is the year you try. You know, this is the year that Democrats go all out. National Democrats go in a, in a in a president in a Republican president's midterms, first midterms. This is where you you go all out in every district you think you have a chance in. Yeah, yeah. in every state in a statewide race like governor. This is when you do it. Yeah, I, by all accounts, I think election night in November is going to be a good night for Democrats in Oklahoma. At least, I mean, even them just winning a couple seats would be huge. I mean, when you've looked at the history, if they're able to win a statewide race like the governor, that would be huge. A, a congressional district, you know, that's an uphill climb, but those would be, you know, monumental yeah. tasks to undertake. So, does Russell benefit from having Cornette on the ballot because Cornette's going to drive out more Republicans in this district, the fifth district? Or am I overthinking that? <laughs> yeah, that's you know, that's not something I've thought about. I don't, I don't really know. I mean, I. I there's a lot of theories about how, you know, if obviously who Edmondson would do better against. And, you know, in a story I did a couple of weeks ago, Edmondson said, look, I've got a game plan for both of them. I can beat them both. And there are actually a couple of polls showing him that, that right neck and neck with both of them. Mm -hmm. You know, if the, if the general election were today, and, you know, Edmondson stood, Edmondson Cornette, and Edmondson's right there with both of them. But I, I think it would be tougher for Edmonds. I think it's tougher for the Democrats to beat Mick Cornette, and, uh, and especially because of this area. Well, I would agree with that. And I think, Justin, that's a great question to consider. But how that affects CD5, I'm just not um, sure. I mean, if Cornette is in the race, you feel like, obviously, yeah, it would draw out some vote, more voters in Oklahoma City, given that he used to be mayor here. It also may grow out, I mean, I don't know how important they would be, but, you know, maybe there are some Oklahoma City Republican endorsements that would come that if Stitt was on the ballot, they would vote for him, but probably not be as in, engaged. I mean, I don't, I don't know if, if the new Oklahoma City mayor, David Holt, is going to get into the race or not. I feel like he said some things on Twitter last well, week that were... Okay, well, no, I mean, oh. like in terms of you know, if if Cornette was on the ballot, oh, okay. would somebody like uh, Mayor Holt, you know, you know, openly stump for him and, and endorse him, you know, versus you know Stitt? I mean, I, I, That's I, a complicated I, question. I mean, Holt would probably <laughs> stay out. I, I my, my, I would say that he probably would to, stay yeah. out of it. Um, he may be tempted to support. Uh, you know, Cornette. what if Trump comes? You know, um, Trump's going all over the country, and if 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 the Republican, if the RNC is telling Trump. You know, it's going to be closer than you think, and they may need you, and Steve Russell may need you. You know, the whoever, Stitt or Cornette may need you. I mean, apparently yeah. he's relishing yeah. the idea of going to a bunch of states and stumping for, you know, state. He's already stumped for gubernatorial candidates yeah. in other states, so there's nothing saying that he wouldn't come here in a general election, you know. So interesting to have Holt and yeah. Holt and Trump are not going to share a stage. Yeah, I, I, and, I, and like I said, I, don't, I haven't <laughs> seen what he said. I believe... I, th I thought last week, on, I could be wrong, I thought on Twitter last week that Holt took a little bit of a shot against some anti-Cornette 
rhetoric. Yeah, or he did. Like that. Okay, I saw so, that. Uh, but but so, he hasn't endorsed him. So but he hasn't that's endorsed him. Good question. Yeah. So that. and I don't know that he would endorse Cornette, but he maybe f- would feel tempted, especially if Edmondson was attacking him and attacking Oklahoma City. Oh, and, I think it's role. clear that City Hall doesn't like Stitt. Yeah. yeah, they've made that clear on Twitter. Yeah, so it just would be a lot of interesting factors, and, and just the idea of Trump stumping, uh, Justin smiling. That's the idea of that story would be. <laughs> I can't imagine uh, Russell yeah, sharing a stage with Trump. <laughs> Is that Trump, right? Though. Really? Uh, he might. I mean, well, then, he then Trump wouldn't come. I mean, if if Russell's, uh, then I don't. I, I just don't know come. that it would get to the point where they feel like it would benefit him. I mean, if he needed it, it would. But Trump did not do that well in Oklahoma City. I but mean, does uh, Russell not like him, or um, they have some differences? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say he doesn't like him. Immigration and uh, immigration, trade. mainly, and his rhetoric. Yeah. and and Trump's got. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, Trump's got a lot of Oklahoma support. I mean, he's got some of his best favorable ratings in, I think in Oklahoma. Fifty-eight percent or something. This wasn't a state that voted for him in the primary. Um, uh, Ted Cruz, yeah, got the, got that nod. Um, and, that, and someone made this point. It's interesting that you know, Trump wasn't, you know, didn't you know win the primary. Although he's very popular now, just being the Republican president. And now you have two Republican candidates who are trying to out Trump the other about who likes Trump the most. I mean, that's all. We didn't even get into that. But some of the ads have been, you know, trying to say who which candidate supports yeah. Trump yeah. the most. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Cornette didn't support Trump. I mean, at one point when he was mayor. Um, and you know those are things that he's having to kind of walk back. But you know what? He also got a lot of support from moderates because of the stance that he took on mm. that. So um, he's just maybe having to kind of pay for that today. So all right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Political State. I think we've got one more episode until the until the runoff. So we'll talk about this again next week. We'll see what interesting ads might pop up from either either campaign. We'll be watching Wheel of Fortune to try to see um, <laughs> to try to get a, the pulse of the electorate, which that seems to be the best place to do it. So well, that's going to do it for this week's episode. You can find each and every episode in video and on your favorite podcasting app. For The Oklahoman, I'm Ben Felder. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.